everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Penscast Mailbag here at the Skating Penguin Network. I am your host, Garrett Behanna. Alongside me, as always, back from his sabbatical last week, he is a fellow contributing writer over at Pensburg.com, co-host of the Penscast here at the Skating Penguin Network. It's Robbie Noggle, and joining me as well is fellow co-host of the Penscast here at the Skating Penguin Network, Snail. As well, we are back to answer your mailbag questions as submitted by loyal listeners on Twitter. Again, for those who are interested, who are listening to this, maybe a longtime listener, or finding us for the first time, finding some Pittsburgh Penguins content on your podcasting platform of choice, you can submit questions that you want answered to us every Sunday. We will send out a mailbag tweet or mailbag post asking for your participation in these mailbag episodes and you can stay up to date with all our latest releases and content and whatnot by following us on twitter at penguins ffsn and speaking of ffsn which stands for fans first sports network we have something to bring to you the loyal listeners and we're talking about we're not talking about hockey right now we're talking about football we're talking about american football we're talking about the nfl are you listening right now? Are you a fan of an NFL team, one of the 32 teams across America? Would you love to attend your favorite team's week one game? Well, guess what? Listen up because you're in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice with a maximum cost of up to $5,000. Again, Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to any week one NFL game of your choice. Your favorite team, the Steelers, Snail lives in the Pacific Northwest. He's a Seahawks fan. It could be the Seahawks. It could be the Los Angeles Rams. It could even be the pathetic Cleveland Browns. It doesn't matter. Four free tickets of up to $5,000. The rules to enter this contest are very simple. Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out all of the appropriate information. It'll take less than three minutes. That's it. Once you've done that, you have been officially registered to win four free tickets. Again, four free tickets to any week one NFL game. So what are you waiting for? Go enter for your shot at seeing your favorite team in action week one. This contest will end on September 4th. And I will link to all appropriate information, whether you're listening to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, if you're listening on Pensburg.com, I will have a link with all relevant information in this podcast post. So you can go to, again, contest.fansfirstsports.com, fill out all the appropriate information, and you are entered into a contest to see your favorite NFL team in week one. Again, four free tickets, any week one NFL game contest.fansfirstsports.com all of the work out of the way there we're going to get into the fun stuff now we're going to talk about some questions and this week we have 14 questions from a couple of different question askers question number one will go to robbie question number two will go to snail i will take question number three we will repeat that cycle until all questions are answered with that robbie is back in the loop this week he gets question number one question number one comes from brian here is an interesting hypothetical talking about the Florida Panthers. Robbie, would you be for or against trying to acquire Spencer Knight? 
I know he stepped away and has entered the league's player assistance program, but if Spencer Knight is fully healthy, could he be a good 1B for Tristan Jari? Uh, it's an interesting hypothetical, but right now, uh, even with Jari under contract, there's still a bunch of question marks uh, at the goaltending position for the Penguins, and I'm not sure if they need to spend assets to go get uh, an- another question mark. Uh, Spencer Knight, who has the talent, could be good, but again, stepping away from the game uh, and getting uh, whatever uh, was whatever issues he had uh, sorted out through the player assistant program. Uh, hopefully, that uh, helped him uh, get get through those troubles. But there's just so many questions question marks there already. Do you really need another one? Um, I really think we're gonna. It's it's obviously Jari is your one, uh, and then it comes down to. Uh, Andy Nedeljkovic, uh, or I can't remember the other guy's name, uh, at two. Um, obviously, Joel Blomquist uh, is a little too far away. He'll get uh, playing time in the, in the AHL. But, uh, I mean, it's a great hypothetical. Uh, maybe it's a wait-and-see kind of thing uh, into the season uh, if the goaltending gets really bad. But I just don't think you spend assets to uh, add another question mark to a position where there's already – a lot of question marks uh, in between the pipes. So uh, I'm fine with Jari and Nedeljkovic to start the season. Um, again, so much is going to be focused on Jari's health. Was that what was holding him back last year? Uh, we're going to find out here in the next couple of weeks. So uh, Spencer Knight is a, a nice thing to think about. Uh, maybe it's something that you toss around uh, later in the season, but uh, for the most part right now, I think you stick with the question marks you have rather than adding another one. Uh, question number two, again, from Brian, and this one's going to Snail. Uh, with all the depth that Kyle Dubas has brought in, do you see there being enough competition to make Jeff Carter earn his spot in the lineup? Dubas brought in quite a bit of depth. I was actually kind of just counting it up. And as far as like NHL caliber players, um, there's like eight of them. And, you know, the bottom six, there's there's six. And, you know, we can't waive Jeff Carter uh without his permission can't trade him without him waiving his no move clause this is the last year he's making a little over three million i think there's a lot of incentive for jeff carter to show up in shape and and really try to earn his spot i think yeah i think that to be frank it's like yeah i think that with all the depth that dubas has brought in uh, there's going to be quite a bit of competition. Jeff Carter is either a center or a right winger i've never really i don't think i've ever seen him play his off wing and uh, Dubious injected quite a bit of youth um, this offseason. So, you know, Jeff is, I, I mean, this is probably obvious to him. He's kind of, he's going to have to show up and compete with with a bunch of the young players that are, are hungry to to prove uh, that they 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 earn a, a spot on this roster. And um, so, yeah, I think short and sweet, Jeff Carter's, this is going to be a big year to see what he's kind of got left in the tank. Uh, let's see, question three here from Brian. Do you see any of the main guys in Wilkes-Barre taking the leap to become regulars with the Pens? Pustin looks to have the potential if given the chance. Nylander as well. Those are the two guys. Maybe Jonathan Gruden as well. I could maybe realistically see getting an extended look. It's funny that Brian asked this question. I'm actually in the process of writing up uh, over at pensburg.com. I'm writing up Valtteri Pustinen's top 25 under 25 uh, article that will go live on pensburg.com uh, Wednesday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern. So 
Uh, that basically will give a recap of Pustinen's 2022-23 season. But going back over the last two seasons, Pustinen has been the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton leading scorer over those last two seasons, 2021-22 and 22-23. So the offense is definitely there for Pustinen. The issue is Kyle Dubas has, as Snail mentioned, brought on a lot of external depth either players that he knew and was familiar with in his time in Toronto or other unrestricted free agents with an emphasis on defense. And that is one aspect of Pustinen's game where it still may be lacking. The offense is definitely there. He has been a solid point producer since his time in Finland. Now transitioning over into the North American game, Pustinen has shown that he could probably be a reliable top nine bottom six forward. If he irons out his defensive deficiencies, Pustinen absolutely could be a regular NHLer. Here's the problem, though, is that with all of the external additions that Dubas has brought in, it doesn't really leave a whole lot of openings for competition into training camp and into the regular season. Sure, I imagine Pustinen and Nylander will be competing with a lot of those extra bodies to fill out that bottom six. And I even hypothesized that, you know, maybe you could stick you could stick Pustinen up there on Sidney Crosby's left wing while Jake Gensel recovers from injury uh, as the season starts and you don't have to go the external route again and you don't have to uh, spend money, spend what little money you have left on the salary cap for a player like Thomas Tatar. So at the very least, Valtteri Pustinen will give the Penguins something of a rarity in their system, a young player who will be able to provide offense at the minor league level And if given the chance on an extended basis because he's only played one game in the NHL level, he could probably give you, I'd say, anywhere from 20 to 40 points if he played over an 82-game stretch in the NHL. For the time being, though, I think Pustinen will probably be in Wilkes-Barre Scranton to start the 2023-24 season. Nylander, because he's a right-handed, a right-winger, Uh, maybe he gets the chance to stick again. A lot of these decisions about who's going to be in and out of the bottom six are going to transpire over the next month, five, six weeks until we get into October. So this is when those kinds of competitions are really going to amp up. But as far as Pustinen, I think he's deserving of an NHL roster spot. It's just tough because, you know, you have veteran players with big contracts who are cemented in their roles. You have Raquel, and Riley Smith and Brian Rust. You have all of those guys on the wing who are already there and not going to go anywhere. Gensel when he gets back. So it's a bit of a crowded room right now, but he provides valuable organizational depth, does Pustinen, if he is recalled upon because of injury. Assuming those four names are healthy come the first week in October, my best guess is going to be, I think you can pencil in uh P.O. Joseph, I think that is – he played everything we saw last year. I think he is solidly on the third pairing. Uh, and then if I had to, looking at those last three names, Ty Smith, Mark Friedman, and Chad Ruedel, uh, unless Smith or Friedman do something uh, kind of out of this world, I really think that they're going to go with Chad Ruedel as the number six. I, I, he has the trust of the coaching staff. They like what he does. He doesn't play high event hockey, which – as a bottom pairing defenseman, that's completely fine. Uh, just do your job, get it out of the zone, and uh, just don't get caved in um, every time you're on the ice, basically. And I, I think POJ would definitely help him. 
Uh, POJ brings uh, more of the offensive side of that, obviously. But again, I think it could be up for the taking if Smith and Friedman have, and or Friedman have a great uh, training camp. I really think POJ is basically. Um, I don't want to say he's penned in there, but I think at the at the worst, he's at least penciled in um, into into that onto that bottom pairing. And who his partner is will depend on uh, what those other three do in training camp. But I lean right now toward Chad Ruedel, uh, unless Smith or Friedman uh, do something that uh, really just can't be ignored. But I think we kind of already know what Ruedel and Friedman bring. Um, it's going to be more or less can Smith finally uh, find that game uh, to unseat either either of those two. Um, so if I was writing the lineup right now. I would have the bottom pairing as P.O. Joseph um, on one side and um, his partner to open the season. Uh, my best guess is Chad Ruedel. And then I think Friedman will probably remain with the big club if money works out. And Ty Smith will get playing time down in the American Hockey League with Wilkes Barre. Uh, question number five from Brian. Uh, what is your choice for most disappointing season in Penguins history? Um, well, I mean, it's got to be this one that just happened, right? Snapping that 16 consecutive playoff uh, appearances streak with uh, across like the four major sports. I mean, that's pretty disappointing. Um, but just for conversation's sake, I mean, I <clears throat> could have been Sid's rookie year too with all the hype that Sid brought um, not making the playoffs that year. Uh, you could argue that that's a pretty disappointing season. Um, for me personally, and like, this might just kind of reflect how spoiled, um, <clears throat> Penguins fans can be at times. I'm, I think this came to mind immediately when I read this question. And for me, it was the 2013, uh, playoffs, how that ended, uh, when they acquired Iggy at the trade deadline and they got swept in the Eastern conference final by the Bruins. I just thought that was like the best roster ever assembled. Iggy for a player that wasn't a penguin Iggy is like one of my favorite players of all time and this was a couple of years after the uh the golden goal Iggy assisted on to Sid and I was just like this is it this is like the team this is it like this is like the pinnacle penguins roster right now and then to see them get swept by the Bruins that one will always sting so that's uh that's mine personally I think it's it's really up for debate. I'd be curious, what do you guys think? I mean, this last season had to have been extremely disappointing, right? I mean, I know this is an opinion based question. You're wrong with your choices. Um, I have my own, but I like Garrett answer first, so I can tell him why he's wrong. Also, <laughs> uh, alrighty. Uh, the first one that came to my mind wasn't even last season. It was the one that Snail mentioned. It was the the Bruins. Uh, Eastern Conference final sweep. I, I go and that's still even to this day uh, has left a sore spot in my mind because of how stacked that roster was. But now I'm curious because Robbie just flat out saying both of us are wrong. So now I, I have to go and I'll, I'll give the microphone over to Robbie. What is your uh, least favorite season? So I'm going to age myself with this. It's gotta be 1993 it has to be the president's I was trophy thinking, yep. uh-huh. president's trophy longest winning streak in nhl history three peat 
dynasty, whatever, all that gone with an overtime loss to the Islanders. That team oh, was, yeah. I mean, I only have, I have one of the years pulled up here. It's not, this isn't exactly the same, but like Stevens, Lemieux, Yager, Francis, um, talk it was there. Uh, just a, again, it was as historically great as the teams that won the cup. It's just, I mean, that was to do, that was the best of all three of those teams. They were healthy. I mean, Mario came back from cancer, won the scoring title after being down like 18 points with 20 games left in the season. It just, that is the, again, I always, again, I 13, Tony 13. Yeah. That year sucked this year. I almost don't even consider this year as much of a disappointment now that everything that happened happened afterwards. And looking at it, this team was so broken and so the roster construction was so bad that they would have been fortunate to make the playoffs. So 2013, bad. 2012 was arguably maybe even better than the 2013 team. If they have any goaltending, they get past the Flyers and probably bury. Uh, the Devils, but 93, again, aging myself a little bit, but just a tremendously devastating end to what was, what should have been a third Stanley Cup in a row. If my dad were recording instead of me, he would absolutely agree with you. He was there. He saw the first, the first back-to-back. He still tells me to this day that that 93 team, the fact that they didn't win, it's, it's a very sore spot for him as well. I've heard Ray Ferraro talk about that and people have like, how did you guys, how, like the Islanders, how did you guys beat that Penguins team? And he was just like, I don't know, we shouldn't have, <laughs> yeah. like point blank. So yeah, I don't know. And there's been a couple in recent memory, but 93, I guess, yeah. When you, when you spin it that way, Robbie, I, I, I'd have to agree with you there. Um, let's go to question six now here. I think we're at question six from Brian. If you were an NHL player, what would your jersey number be? Very simple, um, and it's cliche, but it is what it is. My jersey number would be 56. Uh, the date of my birthday, May 6th. Uh, I have no explanation other than that. Um, so 56 would be good for a forward or a defenseman. Uh, but yeah, I'll hand it over. Uh, we'll, we'll go around the table. Robbie, what would yours be in then snail? Uh, I thought about this one for a little while. And like, uh, I kind of came back to the number I wore in high school for baseball. Uh, that was 14. Uh, that's really the only number um, I had that really sticks out to me. I had it my entire um, high school career. So I would say um, 14. Um, probably have to go with 91. My, the, my birth year 91 i also think 91 just like looks sharp especially yeah, in hockey. i mean i could see that all righty with that quick question out of the way we'll head to question number and uh wait are we doing yeah seven question number seven eight eight okay yeah that's okay well we are going to brian here for the next question who is the most underappreciated player from each of the five Stanley Cup winning teams. So I'm going to give these an order here starting in 91. And 
the problem with some of these um, earlier teams is they were so stacked that um, it's really hard to uh, kind of go into the depths of this roster. But I'll give you some I'll give you some options here. Um, you have to go with I think starting in '91. Uh, he is a Hall of Famer, but he did he was toward the end of his career at this point. Uh, Brian Trottier uh, was such a integral part of like just a leadership. He had cup pa- past cup experience. He had uh, he knew what it took to win, and he only scored seven points during that run. But uh, he w- he was such a a glue piece to that roster, uh, being able to uh, come in and kind of. Uh, teach some of these younger guys um, what it meant and what it was going to take uh, to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, 91-92, uh, even though this team had Trottier on it, I'm going to uh, kind of step out of – I'm not going to go back to that well um, again. And I'm going to go with – a couple names popped up here to me as well on this one. But I'm going to go with – uh, what Rick Tockett brought to that team. Now, Tockett was a great player at this point. Uh, he came over in a trade uh, midseason. Uh, but Tockett provided uh, so much of what that team was missing. He was such a brutal, gritty uh, player but could score. He only played 14 games in that cup run, uh, but he scored 19 points, uh, including six goals. Uh, another name to watch out for that year, though, kind of under the radar, Sean McEachern. Um, scored a big goal or a couple of big goals in that playoffs uh, as well. But if I'm picking one from that team, I'm going to have to go with um, uh, Rick Tockett on that one. Uh, now, jumping forward to 2008, 2009, um, I was kind of split between two guys here, but I went with a guy that slightly better offensive numbers. I went with Tyler Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy scored two goals in that, in that Stanley cup final against the Red Wings, including uh, the game winner in game six that forced a game seven, Um, uh, just a a tremendous player, a part of that great, great third line with Matt cook and Jordan stall Uh, and Kennedy. Again, he kind of became a Pittsburgh boy after, even after leaving the city, he's back here. Now he lives in Pittsburgh. Uh, You'll see him uh, doing commentary uh, here and there, but I got to go TK for the 0809 team. Uh, shout out Mark Eaton though that was the other guy that was in contention uh, for that um, for that nod now moving on to 15-16 Stanley Cup number 4 uh, lot, again a lot of great names to pick from here um, but I'm going to go I have to go with uh, Mr. Game 7 Brian Rust uh, we appreciate him much more now obviously but he was basically just a nobody when um, these playoffs uh, came around. He had just come up uh, through the system that year, scored two big goals against Tampa Bay in game seven to uh, win that series and advance to uh, the final. Uh, Just a very important player um, for the Penguins in that cup run and obviously has become kind of a very important player throughout all of Penguins history. And wrapping it up here with 2016, 2017, again, a lot of uh, a lot of good um, good names to pick from here. But I'm gonna have to go with uh, maybe somebody that we kind of forget about um, and go with uh, Justin Schultz. He was the big time 
he stepped up big time uh, when Chris Letang went down this season with the the neck injury, and when it was kind of clear that he was going to be out uh, for the rest of the playoffs, uh, Schultz stepped right in and delivered a masterclass performance, uh, filled his role perfectly, um, scored a couple big goals, scored a big goal in Game Seven uh, against the the Senators. Uh, to eventually help propel them to the final. But uh, I got to go with Justin Schultz for this uh, cup, uh, the fifth and final cup. All right, question number. This was question number seven on our uh, outline, but it's going to go to Snail now. What is one bold prediction each of you have for next season? <laughs> well, I'm glad that all of you guys get to chime in as well because my bold predictions, my hot takes have always like just really come back to haunt me um but i'll i'll be super candid here and i i've ruminated on this before this question was ever asked and i just think i think the penguins my bold prediction for this next season is i am guaranteeing no less than a the Penguins are making the second round of the playoffs i don't know about anything further than that but they're getting past they're not only making the playoffs they're getting past the first round and into the second round. And it I don't know, with the acquisition of Carlson and the depth that they've added and just kind of the rejuvenation of having a general manager like Kyle Dubas implemented into the organization. I don't know, what do you guys think? Is that bold? Is that with an addition like Carlson? Is that like too much to ask? What do you guys think? Well, I mean, for a team that hasn't been in the second round since 2018, I don't think yeah, it's really that bold. Or that's I don't think I think that's pretty bold, even with the additions they made. My I, I agree I I slightly agree, but at the same time I'm 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 always thinking like it's Crosby and Malkin and Latang. Now they have Carlson. My bold prediction was not really playoff related. It was that with the addition of Carlson, Sidney Crosby will eclipse one hundred points. One hundred I'll say one hundred plus points once again. I don't think it will be, be much further, I don't think he'll, he'll hit 110 or anything like that. But I think with the emphasis on offense now coming from the back end with Latang and Carlson, I think that helps Crosby get him up to the 100-point plateau. I like that. I saw a lot of conversation this past week about uh, whether or not Crosby can reach 100 points and what it needs to take to get there. But my bold prediction, and I'm going to really go out on a limb here, Tristan Jari finishes top five in Vesna voting. Oh, that is bold. Very bold. Oh, boy. I mean, one of us had to take something that's never been done before at the, at the very least. So I'm going to go on a branch, say that he finishes, he bounces back, he stays healthy, and he finishes top five in Vesna voting. Not saying he will be one of the finalists, but he will play well enough to be in that top five conversation or even in the Vesna conversation but he will finish within top five of Vesna Trophy voting this coming season. And the Penguins will need that. They'll need that. Yeah, I mean, if if he's a Vesna, if he's in that position, the Penguins are easily a top three team in the Metro. Yeah, and like to Snail's prediction, they will go. I absolutely, if he's in the top five of Vesna voting, they absolutely will make it into the the second round, maybe even to the conference final. So yeah, I, I, that would be. Out of all of the things the Penguins have going for them this season, that that prediction right there 
may be the most important thing the Penguins need to fall their way this season. I'm not saying that Jari needs to become a a routine Vesna contender, but he if he can get back to that level, all of the concerns I have about this team, really the vast majority of them go out the window. Oh yeah, it's all goaltending this year. I think <clears throat> they really shored up the blue line and added some young depth and it's they they're going back to the well with Jari. That's a that's a great that's a great one, Robbie. Uh, next question we have is from Brian, and it's our weekly food question. Okay, Brian asks, what is your go-to cereal? I'm very curious to what Snail has to say because he's already <laughs> he's already giggling behind the microphone. It's probably going to be like bran flakes with dusted sugar on top. But uh, go-to cereal. I don't eat a lot of breakfast cereal. When I do eat it, though, I love a good bowl of honey nut Cheerios with a banana sliced in between, like into the cereal itself. So I think it's a nice, hearty, healthy breakfast. I'll take a bowl of honey nut Cheerios. As a matter of fact, tomorrow uh, on Tuesday, when this goes live, I'll be working 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And every Tuesday, my breakfast routine will consist of me probably getting a bowl of cereal with a banana. So that'll be my go-to that's typically my go-to as well, but uh, I'll flip it over to Robbie, and then we'll see what atrocity Snail has. So, Robbie, what's your go-to cereal? Uh, mine is Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and it has been for a very long time. Uh, if we're, I mean, there's obviously just like never-ending amounts of cereal uh, that you can choose from, but I'm a Cinnamon Toast Crunch fiend. It is by far my favorite, and uh, if I'm having to pick, that is going to be my number one Um all the time, but yeah, so I'm cinnamon toast crunch. So I'm pretty, pretty basic that way. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Cinnamon toast crunch is phenomenal. I haven't had it in a long time, but that stuff is like straight up. That's like, that doesn't even have to be for breakfast. You could have that for, Oh, I can eat that. I could eat that literally any time of day. All right. So, uh, when I'm pouring up cereal, I'm pouring in, uh, a heaping amount of Seattle granola companies, original flavor um it's just got you know granola it's got some almonds in there it's got some coconut flakes uh it's got a little flax uh and then i give a little splash of uh any kind of oat milk nothing too crazy there right it's the perfect response for the vegan on the staff to (laughs) like i don't even think is vegan can you veganize cereal any more than he's already done look i i I love tearing him apart because he's a vegan and I know nothing about veganism, but I mean, that just sounds like the perfect, like hippie Northwestern vegan kind of like, it's just like prototypical. If I think of Seattle and I think of the Pacific Northwest, I couldn't even, I couldn't even repeat what snail just said something about Seattle granola and almonds and oatmeal, all that stuff. I, I, I give him a hard time because of the vegan thing, but that is, you know, that ticks all the boxes. That really does tick all the boxes for the kind of the kind of person that that snail is. So it's not out of the realm of of craziness. It's it's pretty much par for the course, I think. Yeah, not too crazy. And yeah, I guess it would be very on par for like someone from the Pacific Northwest. Maybe you guys out east imagine Seattle, and there's just in your in your mind's eye, there's a heaping bowl of some sort of granola product. Yeah, um, you're, you're out there hugging trees, and it's a, it's a cold, rainy day, 
and you know maybe you're, you grow a nice luscious long beard and you're out there chopping wood like a lumberjack that's my <laughs> that's my that's my stereotypical view of seattle and the pacific northwest oh man you know what cereal i really miss though is like do you remember cookie crisp cookie crisp is phenomenal too they still make it it's thought, oh they yeah, do so. yeah i'm, yeah, I'm sure. almost 99 percent positive i just saw it in stores not that long i'm almost like 99 percent positive that's one with the dog on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is okay, it a dog? Yeah, it's dog a dog or a dog or a wolf. Yeah, it's yeah, huh. it's some kind of canine animal. Um, huh. but yeah, oh yeah, that's phenomenal, absolutely. Oh man, if you if you get cookie crisp for just a long, you have it in the bowl for a long time. You have to let it go because it's like yes. yeah, it it needs to soak a little bit. Definitely, yes. it does. That'll yes. rip your mouth apart. Yeah, if you it, eat it yeah too it's like soon. it's like Cap and Crunch. Like I like, I enjoy Cap and Crunch from time to time, but I cannot eat that on a regular basis because you know your upper your, your upper mouth just gets torn to shreds. Yeah, that'll leave you bloodied. Alrighty, uh, we're going back to Robbie here, I believe. Question ten. Here's a fun question from Brian: If you could have ten million dollars, or be given a dollar for every step. You took in a year, which option would you choose? So I mapped this one out just so everybody knows. Um, so I went on the basis of the recommended 10,000 steps a day. If I took 10,000 steps a day for 365 days, I'm not getting anywhere close to $10 million. You would need to walk a thousand days to get $10 million. Um, if they're giving you a, if you're giving you a dollar for every step you took, um, I am full on. Just give me the ten million bucks, easy. It's not even that. It's not even there. Yeah, the, the math was so clear on this. Give me the ten million bucks. I you could not walk enough in a year to equal um, ten million dollars. It would be. Um, uh, I actually didn't math that one out. Ten million. You know why Brian asked this question, right? He's a mailman. He, his job is to walk from point A to point B and deliver mails. You'd have get... to walk almost 28,000 steps a day oh my for God. 365 days to get to, 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 to accumulate $10 million. No, Garrett's right. Brian's asking this because he probably thinks this every single day while he's There's delivering no, mail. I, don't think, I, like, I guarantee, I know Brian probably walks a lot. But I don't know if he's pumping out. And this is including Saturday and Sunday too. So I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of steps. I, I'd like to see if Brian could map out like roughly what he does in a day mail carrying. I would like to map that out. But I just give me the ten million. Um, question number eleven uh, again from Brian here. Uh, what do you think Jari's workload will look like this season? Uh, well, I mean, he's, they, they gave him the contract. They're going back to the well, like I said earlier with Jari as the main man in the net. Um, I think we're kind of phasing out of, we're not really seeing a whole lot of like 60 game starters anymore. That's kind of like a unicorn, uh, in this day and age in the game right now. Um, I don't think even, I don't think Jari with his injuries and everything, uh, I just can't see him. I mean, I think I, I can't really even give you a number. I, if he stays healthy, he's going to obviously be starting a majority. I think Nadelkovich, um, 
I think Adelkovic is going to get a fair fair amount of games in here. I'd be curious to know uh, what do what do you guys think? What even is kind of like the modern like workload for a goalie that's not like the old school like sixty game starters? Is it like a is it almost a split? I don't even know if I mean. I was that was the first thing. If Jari's healthy, I would. That's what I was thinking. He was gonna play was like six fifty five, sixty games, and that would leave. Oh, you do. That's what I thought. I mean, I, I could be completely off base here. I, I mean, Snail's right. You have, do have to take his injury history into account. Uh, but I really didn't think giving Nadelkovich, assuming he's the backup, more than more than twenty games. I mean, he does have starting experience. He's won at this level before. But I mean, given. Given Jari's prior all-star history, I, I thought I didn't think 60 games was out of the realm of craziness, but uh, hey, I, I'm no goalie coach. So, I mean, that's what I thought would be 55, 60 and give the backup the remaining 20-ish. That's, you know, that's so, what I thought at least. Okay. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe that wouldn't be that crazy. I guess since 2019, uh, his game played was 33 in 2019-20, uh, 21 or 20 and 21 he played 39 games 21 22 he actually started 58 so yeah he pretty he's that's the majority of the games i can't believe that and then uh in 22 23 he started in 47 games so uh maybe maybe i'm crazy maybe maybe he will be a six if he's healthy and he's feeling good and he's playing well that's another thing he's got to be playing well uh Maybe he is that sixty-game starter, and then you give the rest to Nedeljkovic. Um, you know, Nedeljkovic is interesting too because I think he was the starter in Carolina for a while, a couple of years ago. I mean, if Nedeljkovic gets hot, you could see a dip in Jari starts and and going with the hot hand. Um, that's how I see it shaking out. If you guys think differently, I'd be curious to know if Robbie or Garrett what you guys think. But uh, that's maybe yeah, maybe he is like going to be forty-five to sixty games. Yeah, I don't see. I don't see really any scenario. Like you said, uh, Nadelkovich had prior uh, experience in Carolina. That's true. I don't think. I mean, Jari would have to completely crater into the ground for Nadelkovich to go on an extended run as the starter. You're not paying Jari all of this money on a fresh contract, even if he is struggling. I think Mike Sullivan's the kind of coach where you have to get him out there eventually. You have to let him work through whatever. If he is going through some issues mentally, if he's having a bad stretch of games, you have to get him out there anyway. What other option do you have? You have Nadelkovich, yeah, sure. But you're not paying Jari north of $5 million to ride the bench and let journeyman Alex Nadelkovich take all of those starts away. So rider, it's, it's pretty much ride or die, Tristan Jari, and Nadelkovic is there to mop up any other sorts of messes, second halves of back-to-backs, that sort of thing. Yeah, very true. Up in Toronto, they kind of had the same thing. They signed former Penguin, or they, they traded for former Penguin Matt Murray, and he was making the majority of the money in net. And then by the end of the season, it was, uh, what's his name, That the goalie that was from, uh, from D.C., uh, Samsonov. So it's not unheard of, but yeah, let's just hope that Jari, I mean, I would love it. I feel like I give Jari a lot of shit on this podcast, but like, I, I hope he, I hope he comes back healthy and he's, I hope he's a stud for us. Like, I hope he starts 60 games and there's never even a wavering of confidence in him in there. Okay. Move on from that question. Um, Kim from Denmark, uh, he would like to know 
Uh, would you take Mitch Marner next summer if possible? And if if yes, how much is he worth in salary? I would love to have him in a Penguins jersey. And the same question about William Nylander. All right. We're talking about the two prime possible candidates to maybe depart the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I love getting reckless about this sort of thing. Uh, and it's funny, this question comes in after Austin Matthews signs his recent four-year extension with the Maple Leafs. He's not going anywhere. I don't. I can't sit here and pretend I know the inner workings of the Maple Leafs, but if there's one player who I think out of that core that gets moved, I think it's John Tavares. I think the Maple Leafs will invest their salary cap into Mitch Marner, Nylander, and Austin Matthews and build around them because they are younger than John Tavares. Um, again, I don't know what kind of salary cap gymnastics you'd have to do because I know Tavares makes a lot of money and just about every team is up against the salary cap, but I don't see any scenario in which Nylander and Marner both depart Toronto between the two players between Nylander and Marner. I would prefer Marner over Nylander. I think both are exceptional top six forwards. I think Marner is just that much better. Contract comparables, uh, looking at William Nylander, he is in the final year of his deal with a cap hit of $6.962 million with a modified no-trade clause. What are we talking about? Let's see. I think Marner gets somewhere on his new contract. Maybe he gets somewhere around 11 to 13 million right now his current cap hit is 10.903 and he has one year left after this season through the 2024-25 season so looking at marner's next deal or uh, excuse me or yeah marner's next deal i think it's going to be a raise about 12.5 a uh, what now i don't know it's it's tough to it's tough to gauge that because i don't know like i said i'm not a maple leafs fan i'll say anywhere from 11 to 13 million given that the salary cap is going to go up. For Nylander, maybe because he is making considerably less than Marner. Marner's making almost $11 million. Nylander is not even just about making $7 million. So that's a difference of $4 million. For Nylander's next deal, maybe maybe they get him to meet around 8.5 or 9, maybe 9.5, somewhere around there. $9.5 million for... I don't know what what's the max you can give a contract seven years eight years, eight years I'd imagine yeah so you're, you're probably going to see I don't think that's crazy to for for both of those deals both of those guys are going to get raises how they're going to fit those guys under the Maple Leaf salary cap and still build a competitive team around those three well that'll be the fun part watching as an outsider but uh, I don't yeah I don't think Nylander and Marner are going anywhere now that now that Matthews has signed for the long term he's in this for the long haul. I think those two other pieces are crucial to the Maple Leafs' success. Question number 13. I believe this is my question to ask to Robbie. Yeah. Uh, okay. Kim from Denmark. We're going back to our friend from Denmark here. If you can't choose Pittsburgh, where would you think the best atmosphere is in the NHL? And on the flip side, where is the worst atmosphere in the league? So I think – it's been pretty well understood that Montreal is right up there. I'd love to attend a game in Montreal, even if the Penguins weren't uh, uh, the other team, the opposing team uh, in that game. I just think, again, historic-wise as well, um, being able to attend a game in Montreal would be super cool. And the fans are always, if you watch a game on TV, 
you can tell how into it and how insane and um, chaotic they are. So I had to put Montreal up there. Um, a couple years ago, it's back in 2016, actually, I was in Nashville uh, during uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was the second round, and um, the pay- or the Predators were playing the uh, Sharks uh, in the Western Conference semifinals, and uh, we were down there, and my dad and I decided to uh, buy tickets and go as neutrals, and and this was really before they kind of like the next year's the year they made uh, the run to the final against the Penguins. Uh, so they weren't really no, like they didn't have the kind of identity as a completely raucous crowd yet. But I will say that building was um, very very loud and very very into it. very very good crowd. Um, the dude in front of me had a jersey. Um, its number was 69, and the name on the back of the jersey was Bone. Good lord! Um, I actually have a pic- <laughs> I actually have a picture. If I can find it, I'll send it to you guys because it's one. It just seared into my brain because it's one of the funniest things ever. And I wore like just general. I wore a penguin hat to the game, but um, very um, a very good atmosphere. Very into it. Very. Uh, knowledgeable fan base and this is really before the the catfish things took off so um they were just uh, very kind of like loud very cheered the entire game uh nashville eventually won in overtime and it was uh, a really great atmosphere um so i had to put that up there as well also bridgestone arena the coldest building you will ever be inside it was the it was yeah, I mean, hockey readers are cool to be in with. This building was, I mean, like, icy. It was so damn cold in that building. Um, and worst atmosphere, I mean, I get, you had to put Arizona in there, I guess. I mean, um, I didn't get to watch too many games in their little tiny college arena, but uh, maybe that actually makes the atmosphere better because um, you quote-unquote sell out and um, you feel that place, it gets a little bit louder than – a empty 20,000 seat arena. So yeah, I'll put Arizona as um, uh, the worst in there, I guess. Okay. 14 question 14 last but not least it's from Linus J. Uh, and this one's going to snail to wrap us up here. Uh, who is the, uh, again, this might not be a snail question. It might be more for uh, Garrett to answer, but I'll let snail take a crack at it. Who is the best musical act, uh, either band or solo artist, uh, from Pittsburgh? And Linus mentions Anti Flag, uh, the traditional, the Traditionals, uh, Wiz Khalifa, uh, Christina Aguilera if she counts, uh, and Mac Miller. Uh, any other names are also, I guess, uh, can be mentioned as well. But that's just some examples that he gave. <laughs> yeah, leave it up to me, the guy from Seattle, to judge who is the best musical act to come out of your guys's city um so i did a little bit of research on this also is dude is christina aguilera from pencil from pittsburgh yes no way Mm -hmm. that's a big get yeah that's awesome um so this is like i mean this is more for you guys i'm really curious to hear but i'll i did some research and like the two bands that i i I actually listen to they're on my spotify and and i if they ever are touring in this area i'm going to go see them i thought they were from pittsburgh but they're from one's from kingston pennsylvania 
and the other one is from Yardley. So I know Kingston is not close to Pittsburgh, right? I'm not familiar with Kingston. Uh, no, oh, really? Not. Okay. Uh-uh. It, it's looks it looks like it's by Wilkes Bear. And then, do you know where Yardley is? Nope. nope. Okay. So I have nothing to go off of that. I guess you could say, well, how? Do, what is the best musical act as far as like personal tastes go? Uh, some of these bigger names here, like Ansi Flag, the Traditionals, Wiz Khalifa. I mean, as far as like success goes, I mean, it would have to be probably like Wiz Khalifa or like Christina Aguilera, right? Yeah, That's probably the best bet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, Mac Miller was there, and then uh, until he passed away, I think he, if he wouldn't have passed, I think he would have taken a step even beyond like uh, Wiz. Even I really think that he was on the precipice of being a a, a major major player in um, the music scene. I, I think too. Uh... Anti-flag is that that's more of my cup of tea in terms of musically speaking, but yeah, judging by success, uh, I agree with Robbie's take about Mac Miller until he unfortunately passed away. Wiz Khalifa is recognizable the world over because of his contributions to rap. Christina Aguilera. I think she, she, I don't know if she's still a, was she a judge on the voice at one point or one of those? Yeah, uh, she was. Yeah. I don't know if she still is or not, but uh, yeah, she she is she is an international uh, star as well. Uh, I, I have something I'd like to say. Is it a crime if you if you uh, in, insult Nirvana or consider Nirvana overrated? Now, like if I were to say that, what would the guy from the Pacific Northwest would he, would 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 he have some beef with me if I said that Nirvana was an overrated musical act, or would he agree with me? That, I'm curious. I know we're we're veering off from Pittsburgh, but I wanted to get some thoughts. Like, am I breaking the law by saying Nirvana <laughs> is bad from the guy that lives in Washington? Absolutely not. Say what you want about Nirvana. That's not a band that's going to get uh, people too riled up over here. Um, I think that, you know, being somebody who actually like really loves grunge music and really embraces the Seattle sound, as they call it, um, Nirvana is super overrated. Like they are so, so overrated here. So say what you want about Kurt and Nirvana. Uh, that's not going to strike a chord with me personally and probably most people from Seattle. But I think there's some other bands, maybe it's a little bit smaller ones, um, that if you were to talk bad about, then, you know, that gets our undies in a bunch. Because um, I, love, I love Dave Grohl. I think Dave Grohl is just one of the coolest dudes ever. He seems like such a nice dude, uh, always willing to interact with fans. I've always wanted to go to a Foo Fighters concert and just watch Dave Grohl do his thing. So, but like Nirvana, I, I get it. Like they, they were there and sort of put Seattle on the map for lack of a better term and sort of brought grunge to the mainstream. So I'm not discounting their achievements because their achievements are worthy of the success that they got. And, you know, the, their, their reputation lives on well after Kurt Cobain's death, but it's just, it's I just I just don't I just don't see it. I I mean we could we could do a whole podcast episode. I'd love to get both of your guys' thoughts on Nickelback too. Like oh. Nickelback was just before my time, but Robbie, I know Robbie, you you're 5 to 7 years older than me. I know you lived through that that Nickelback surge in popularity. 
Uh, and Snail, too, you're, what, 31, 32? I know you lived through that, too. So I'm, I'm the youngest one here. Are, are you pro-Nickelback, both of you? Are you pro-Nickelback or anti-Nickelback? I'll let Robbie go first. I'm curious. Yeah, I definitely grew up. Like, Nickelback was absolutely massive uh, when I was in high school. Like, um, just, yeah, they were, like, the like the mainstream metal band of the early mid 2000s kind of and i never really had an opinion on them really i just fine like okay they're fine they're there they exist they're fine i mean they sold like for their what they did it's no surprise they sold a ton of records i just think they had like a sound like you knew who nickelback was everybody listened to nickelback uh, because it was, I, I, it was one of those like they were just so big that like you just listened to them and you couldn't really avoid their music. Um, and for me, it was just like, okay, they're fine. They're a metal band. Again, I'm not a big audiophile like some people are. Uh, so for me, it's just they're fine. Like if I know some people were repulsed by them, but I know now that like these last few years, they've really kind of made like I don't want to call it a comeback, but maybe they're appreciated in a different light now. Um, for the most part, they all seem like good dudes, so I can't really say anything negative about them personally. But I, to me, they're fine. I don't, ch- I don't necessarily change the the channel when a song comes on if I'm listening to a station that they would be played on. So to me, they're they're fine. But I know to some uh, um, music heads, they might be it might just be sacrilegious to live to them, listen to them. But I do know they've kind of made a a bit of a resurgence in popularity. Um, these last two or three years. So I I was one of those guys that was like slightly repulsed by like Nickelback growing up uh, when they were kind of uh, first hitting like mainstream stardom. It was like when being someone who grew up in Seattle or whatever and having kind of like, I mean, I don't think they, you could really call them grunge, but like they had some like grunge esque songs. It was always kind of like, eh, I can, I can hear they're kind of like copying that flavor, whatever. But then, to your point, Robbie, about them, their resurgence right now, they're hitting like a major upswing. You have, I think, younger generations. Maybe Garrett feels this way. Maybe he doesn't. But I know that some younger generations almost like them ironically, I think. Like, they're almost like wearing Nickelback, sh- like like old banties and stuff out of pure irony. Yeah, and- that's, yeah. And then, but they also, right now, new metal, like, you know, like Limp Biscuit and whatever your, uh, like, System of a Down, Slipknot, like, that kind of music is also in an odd way right now, I believe, kind of ironically and also unironically by different age groups being listened to, like, again. And they kind of just released something within the last, what, like, year or so? And they've kind of got, like, a new metal sound to them. And I think they're just kind of, like, I think they've won the hearts of, like, a lot of the younger generations, yeah, what really just kind of like disappoints me is like, so we grew up with them. Now the new generation is finding them suitable, but they claim that they're the ones that actually appreciate them. Huh? Like you didn't discover you didn't discover Nickelback. Like it's not a new. It's like a fifteen year old today listening to Coldplay and being like, "Oh, I listened to this band. I found no, like I grew up with Coldplay. <laughs> like, like I grew up with Nickelback. You didn't discover Nickelback." I was True. there. I was True. there since the beginning. Like, I mean, I all the like, and there, there was kind of um. I had a discussion with someone that there's a lot. This generation, which I guess you call Gen Z, Gen Alpha, like the one after the millennials, is kind of like 
re like repurposing what our generation did and claiming it as their own. Like, buddy, no, like you didn't grow up like none of what you're doing is unique. Like we created that you're it just died off a little bit and then you're bringing it back because you understand how cool it was. It wasn't cool when we were doing it because Gen X and stuff hated it. But now it was always cool because you're copying it. Also, it was harder for us to establish those things. The new generation has like the Internet and like an app for everything. Dude, like sometimes I talk about like finding like a band when I was quite a bit younger or whatever. Dude, you had to go dig through archives. You might have to go to the library and just like listen to like hours of like records or CDs or tapes to find like one good song that you later illegally download on LimeWire and you probably get in poison your computer. Yeah, it was harder. Anyways, we could do Robbie, we could gatekeep like all day. I feel like this could be a whole podcast. I'm very anti gatekeeping, but like it's so easy now with what spot. And like, I mean, we even came up with like, like, yeah, we had live LimeWire, which was like basically just dumping your computer in acid. It was AIDS for your computer. Yes. And then, we had iTunes, but you had to pay for every single song. Now we had—I don't know if you did torrenting. We did torrenting, uh, torrents like that was more college uh, for me. But like now, like we never had Spotify or Apple Music where you paid a monthly fee and you can listen to like literally every song in history. Or so, what about like, dude? Even a step before that, like, did you ever like put an empty cassette in and record live radio? We had now see, we didn't do that as much. Now, I we had cassettes, we had a bunch of cassettes that were already like just like a CD you bought with all the with the entire album on it. I didn't do too much um recording with cassettes, but I did burn a lot of CDs. Garrett, do you know how to burn a CD? Yes, I <laughs> oh, okay. I have I have I have absolutely burned CD. I it died out when I was doing it. Uh, this was probably what. 10 to 12 maybe 15 years ago when i was doing it it was like the tail end of it before uh those on-demand music services came came uh, about okay. but yes I, I burned cds from itunes absolutely you're not quite that young no yes i, I like i i was not around for the the limewire craze and napster oh, gosh holy it's a shame it, it yeah i was not around for that um download a song and like make a phone call and it takes like a week to download a song (laughs) i I still probably have mine somewhere on an old hard drive or something all the music i downloaded i if i can find it i will absolutely try to bring it up and see what all i had downloaded i guarantee you i still have to have it somewhere maybe it's on an old ipod maybe um yeah it was limewire was not good for your computer (laughs) that was the wild west back then man oh there was no rules there are no rules. Come for the hockey discussion and stay for the enlightened tales of early to <laughs> mid two thousands music usage on the early days of the. Oh, internet. I could talk about like nineties pop culture, about like cartoons and just life back then. There's so much stuff I'll see pop up, like thirty things from your childhood that you probably forgot about, and I'm like, I know like literally twenty eight of these things. Like I never forgot those things either. No, I didn't forget. Both of you to assume I forgot. (laughs) I maybe have memory hold them, but they never like I didn't have to like think about if I ever used them or not. Um, No, I could talk about '90s pop culture and like early 2000s pop culture um, forever because that's so nostalgic, and I'm a nostalgic person. So 
Um, uh, yeah. So Garrett, do you like Nickelback? Ironic, I, like we never got to this. The, the question was never asked. Uh, I do not have a problem with Nickelback. I, I, I love the fact that now, as Robbie, as Robbie was kind of describing, my generation coming up, the, like I agree with Robbie that you don't just discover Nickelback because they've been around since since the turn of the millennium. So it's not like I'm sitting here and saying, wow, this band is incredible. I love the fact that now Gen Z are giving these funny labels to music genres. They're calling Nickelback divorced dad rock. Which No, <laughs> that's actually kind of perfect, actually. I think it's absolutely. I want to know who else they put in that category. Yeah, because that is yes. fantastic. I'm not married, never have been. But that <laughs> is yeah. that is absolutely fantastic i'd like to know like if we could get like the 50 biggest bands from like the 90s and early 2000s like and just give them to like a gen z and be like here i want you to categorize all these by whatever weird labels your generation uses but here's the thing look i i've made my my love and adoration for for music and pop punk and blink 182 i've made that all known on prior episodes of the podcast i uh, maybe it's just because I grew up with an older sister who's six years older than me. She lived through uh, that. Yeah. And my brother-in-law is the same age as her. And so maybe their music tastes sort of passed on, were passed on to me, but that's a strictly what I listen to. I listen to nineties and early two thousands music. Like I don't listen. I don't listen to stuff from today. I rarely, if ever turn on the radio and listen to like, the the new hits of 2022 and 2020 i just don't do that uh but as far as nickelback is concerned i i unironically like them and i respect them for what they 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 muddled through a lot of shit even through i mean even up until today that's uh, very fair that's they were a meme weren't they weren't they like a meme oh they were like memes they were like they were a meme and they were derided by I wouldn't say it was, just, it was really bad by like hardcore metalheads or music heads, whatever you want to call them, like the audiophiles, the ones that are very, uh, very into music. They were the ones that really derided them and gave them a bad name. But um, I think for like you're just run of the mill people, they were probably I mean, you heard them everywhere. They were they were everywhere. You couldn't listen to the radio. You go like five minutes down the street, and the odds of you getting a Nickelback song on the radio were like at least forty percent. They were everywhere, and maybe again, maybe a part of it was oversaturation as well. I could definitely understand that. Like, if they just play one all the time, like you, okay, excuse me, somebody else. But yeah, they're completely fine, completely fine, completely acceptable music. They're okay. They're fine. And sometimes that's all you need to be as a band. They're yes. fine, but they yes. made they made millions. Yes, they sold millions of records. They, like, and that's fine if you make fine music, but you get enough that you make like millions of dollars, then you've lived the dream. Yep. I I don't need my music to break barriers or break boundaries. Uh, consider what I listen to. I know pop punk isn't. Uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea that kind of music, that kind of trashy music from the late 90s and early 2000s. But the thing about this is it's all subjective. Like everyone who, like I, I'm almost anticipating Brian to have a follow-up tweet 
next week talking about the music that he because I, I wonder if he does listen to music on his mail routes but well this like, a question from ryan yeah i know it was from linus oh, okay, okay. I, 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 so even if linus wants to follow up and and give his thoughts on the music that he listens to as well i i just that i just it's it's so it's weird how a band like Nickelback was so hated and became to, to Robbie's point, maybe it was oversaturation, but now it's like what's old is new again. And everything that was popular in the mid to late nineties and early two thousands is f- through my generation coming back into popularity. And it's like that, that cycle happens all the time with a lot of stuff, but it's funny to live that in, in real time now and see what was fun during snail and Robbie's era growing up. And now like they're witnessing it again as grown men. And I'm really witnessing this wave for the first time. It's like, uh, how like Gen Z thinks that they discovered Kate Bush after watching that, uh, oh my stranger God. things. Yeah. Kate Bush is a big one. There's like, there's been so many, there've been, you could make a list out of, uh, um, people who believe that they just discovered, especially this Gen Z or whatever, they discovered they discovered quote unquote um uh this so what whatever artist you want to uh put down there but yeah definitely kate bush i mean that's a song from like 85 and it went to number one like the song from like 1985 you didn't discover anything (laughs) (laughs) well uh do we have any other thoughts on the the music industry before we get out of here no but we just talked about that like 20 minutes but we we could I would love to keep talking about that, but dude, I actually saw we we should get off the music because I feel like we could record another hour, uh, gatekeeping and uh, talking about uh, bands and whatnot we like from our childhood. But dude, I saw a piece of news this morning that I thought maybe we should touch on quick. And like, if you guys don't want to talk about this and shoot from the hip, then this will never see the light of day, anyways. But I saw that the Penguins owners, Fenway Sports Group, are going to buy AT and T Sportsnet Pittsburgh supposedly yes that's what oh. the rumor is yeah that would be I, uh... october 1st it looks like that would go into effect um fenway sports group owns uh nes and north new england sports network which is nesn uh they cover the red Sox and the bruins um again fsg obviously owns uh the red Sox, uh, and if they do buy um at&t sports net now whatever they, if they change the name whatever but it does look like they're in the process of buying it, which would mean they control um, the Penguins broadcast and maybe even the Pirates, depending on what kind of deals are worked out. Uh, so now what one thing they do as well with streaming, it can be hard to get regional sports networks. They do offer a streaming service just for their sports uh, online and stuff. So that's something to keep an eye on if you don't have cable or if you live out of market like Snell does, uh, you could um, – buy a monthly or yearly package to watch penguin games uh locally um from the local uh regional sports network so when i read this I, all i could think of is what does this mean for me uh well for you it probably wouldn't it, it, like we would still get it on normal cable here as a regional sports network i believe and then they offer um basically a streaming service just for um like the Red Sox and Bruins, uh, they just that's what they stream. So NESN. it'd be like an app, like you'd like get Basically, an app of some yeah, sort. It'd be a standalone, like streaming thing. Yeah. 
I'm on board with that. That makes it kind of easy. Because, yeah, dude, it's so weird. Out here, there's a blackout that happens in Seattle. And uh, it's so weird. I can watch when the Penguins play in Seattle the one time a year they do. But whenever the Penguins are in Columbus, <laughs> I can't watch those games. It's it's like regionally blacked out for some reason. Huh. I did not even know that FSG... Like, I was just not connected to social media today i uh so that news i was learning in real time that fsg uh was in the process of purchasing at&t sportsnet which makes sense given the financial struggles of the regional sports networks um but yeah i wonder if we're gonna see nesn in pittsburgh uh which would be kind of weird but uh, that will be a, a conversation I'm sure we'll have. We'll touch on that either in a news episode or in, a, in another mailbag question. Uh, the potential for NESN to come to the Pittsburgh region as Fenway Sports Group really gets down and dirty now with their man Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins as we inch ever closer to training camp and preseason. We have rambled long enough talking about hockey and music and pop culture and all of those things. Uh, we'll wrap up this episode of the Pencecast mailbag right here. Before we get out of here, let's do one last read through uh, and talk about the current promotion going on at Fans First Sports Network. If you are a fan of any NFL team and you want to attend your favorite team's week one game, you can do so by entering a contest. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one game of your choice for up to $5,000 US dollars. The rules to enter this contest are very simple. Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out all the appropriate information. Bing, bang, boom. You are in the contest and registered to win, again, four free tickets to any week one NFL game. Again, fans, contest.fansfirstsports.com. More information will be linked into any uh, article or streaming platform that you're listening to as well. Uh, contest ends September 4th, 2023. All righty. For Robbie Noggle, for Snail, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Skating Penguin Network and the Pens Cast. We will talk to all of you again next week.